Welcome to Building a Better Bond, a Fiber Bond podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Building a Better Bond. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Fiber Bonds podcast. So when it comes to contracting out manufacturing and construction services, especially for one-time projects, the relationship between client and company can feel extremely transactional. You know, get the job done, get it done well, but more or less, you just part ways after you're done until the next project comes a-calling. Not only can a relationship like that uh, limit a client's perception of how useful it can be to have a strong industry partner for these kinds of services, but it can be a real shot in the foot for manufacturing companies that don't try to encourage that kind of relationship. So today we're breaking down why creating a deeper industry partnership with a manufacturer is so essential. I'd like to welcome Chase Cook, Director of Business Development for Fiberbond's Power Division, to give his insights. Chase, great to have you on. How are you doing? I'm great, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Always a pleasure getting to chat with the Fiberbond crew. So let's start uh, by just looking at this dynamic for the whole industry. You're going to have to generalize a little bit. If you want to pull some examples, feel free. But what do you often see is the relationship between companies and clients in your manufacturing industry? And how does this affect work rapport, uh, just from a general perspective? Yeah, sure. So I think uh, providing a bit of context around the different channels, there's probably going to be helpful for anybody listening. Um, really, when we talk about our power division, what we're primarily referring to is as our companies evolved um, substantially over the last 38 years, um, kind of a hyper growth uh, in the last six as far as uh, instituting change here. Um, really, what we've seen is that the internal components of what we're manufacturing within our products really constitute what kind of environment that they go to and what we classify them as internally. So um, around that, you know, with each one of our business segments, um, all of those approaches are going to be a little bit differently uh, or different. So I'd really like to talk uh, about a couple of them and how they're different. Uh, primarily starting off with power. Um, very familiar with that one, obviously. Um, and what we see there is how really that relationship between the different companies involved um, provides a very unique aspect into how do we go to market and what that relationship looks like. So what I mean by that is generally there is the end user of whom is going to actually consume and utilize this project. Um, we have our customer and then there is us. So within that industry, um, one of the things that we are doing is we are integrating highly specialized mission critical electrical equipment that we don't manufacture ourselves. So in a sense, we're a subcontractor for those folks that do manufacture that equipment um, and they utilize us to integrate that uh, similar to what an electrical contractor would do in the field. Um, so I think that when we refer to this model, the importance around having that relationship between us and the electrical equipment provider has become increasingly important um, because it, it creates the 
you have to have both sides of it, um, both the manufacturer of the electrical components as well as the integration into a product like ours are both entirely essential to making the entire project come together. So um, with that, that relationship has really evolved from what a lot of people, I would say it started out kind of as a, um, a vendor approach has progressed towards a partner approach. Um, I think people get caught up in between and I think it's, it's a, um, so let's just say an e-house manufacturer to refer uh, to a company like ours in this industry. So among e-house manufacturers, it's their choice of which kind of uh, manufacturer they want to be. Do they want to be a vendor? Um, which in some cases, there's a perfectly, that's a perfectly viable solution to entering the market and uh, creating a space there. Um, because there are uh, ways in which you can use that to your advantage. Um, it, it can also have its disadvantages as well, just as on the other end, being a full-fledged partner approach has both its pros and cons as well. Um, you know, obviously with a vendor, you're going to be treated as such. As you mentioned, you come in, you have a transactional approach, you part ways, and you move on to the next one. Um from a partner approach, which I think Fiberbond has really kind of geared itself around, um, because in that industry, we know how important both our products and our customer or partner's products are. So with that, it creates more of a, um, a long-term vision of not just completing a project at a time, but viewing how do we work better together to make sure that we are still providing successful projects five, 10, 15 years from now. Um, anytime you look at something as a one-time approach, you don't have the same, um, you don't have that same relationship type environment to where you're worried about making sure that that end user is satisfied with um, your product so that they come back for the next one. And it's making sure it's not just on that single project, but it's growing the relationship long-term. Um, and then I think that a lot of companies um, within this industry get caught somewhere in the middle, um, almost like a partnered vendor. And I would dare say that that's a very dangerous place to get caught. Um, just because in some ways you're trying to come at things with a partnership approach, but you're also letting, uh, you're also treating, uh, presenting yourself as just a vendor. Um, and so that's really dangerous. We've had a lot of disruption in the industry. Um, two of our main competitors in, in 2017 and 2018 um, filed for uh, different sorts of bankruptcy. So it is a very dangerous place to get caught. And I think that it's important to choose uh, who you're going to be. So I guess uh, wherever we post the podcast, I'll have to make sure that none of our competitors get to hear our secrets. Right. But, uh, <laughs> it's uh, uh, yeah, it just sounds like a crisis of identity in the, in the entire industry. Yeah. A bit of that. Um, and I think that it's easy to get caught in between. Um, if I look at primarily our power industry, you can have, uh, on any given year, we could have between 60 and 80 percent of our segmented, um, you know, 
customer orders come from a handful of companies. So that creates that, um, you know, they have to have us uh, or, or we have to have them mentality. But at the same time, on the other side of that, it's kind of um, it's a little bit the same going the other direction to where there's only so many people that do what we do. And so it's very important for them to have us as well, which I think creates a great ecosystem. As long as you have somebody that understands that, that's um, heading up that relationship. And as long as you disseminate that through your organization and how you approach each of those customers, it can create a very healthy relationship type approach, which in turn makes everybody happy. It's, it's delivering great products, um, great services that keeps the repetitive business coming, uh, which I think is more crucial um, than anything in, in this type of industry. You know, what I think can create uh, some issues with being a partner-only kind of uh, company in this industry. So, you know, if you go all in on wanting to be a um, a partner-focused company that really dives into creating holistic uh, vendor and uh, partner relationships, that can create a dynamic where you might overextend yourself and you know, try to apply a, a personalized touch to almost too many customers to the point where no one gets that full personalized approach. And so the way I've seen other companies approach this is by just being a little pickier with who they work with. Uh, and even if that means they have less partners or you know maybe their reach is a little smaller, the people who they are partnering with get uh, a better experience and they're more likely to stick around. So it's it's just a different playbook, but do you see that kind of dynamic where if you're not careful, you might try to overextend yourself and you just lack the capacity to really provide um, that kind of personalized and um, symbiotic touch to all of your partner relationships? Yeah, I agree that you've got to make sure um, what you're doing on both sides makes sense. Um, and that's where... We, we have had a bit of a shift there as to doing a little bit more research um, and do a little bit more in-depth understanding into who our customers are um, as we and really as we vet new prospects. Um, and that sounds strange as we talk about growing a company is almost as if we're doing the interviewing for whether um you know, we're going to do business together, but that's exactly, um, in a sense, what we have to do um, is to make sure that, one, we can add value into their uh, value chain. Uh, we want to make their processes better. We want to understand that, you know, the way that we're viewing the relationship is going to be the same um, as we kind of progress into that um, and that they're going to be able to both utilize our resources and capabilities to benefit their products and vice versa uh, to where we'll be able to use their resources and capabilities to enhance our offering. And so making sure that we create a very nice mutual um, product together is very important for us. And, you know, I'll also say that we do, we, we make sure not to overextend there um, 
in, in different cases, obviously we have to evaluate every relationship a little bit differently and, and they do change over time. So um, in one case, we may be uh, extending and creating a lot of um, changes or modifications to how we're handling certain uh, relationships today that may not be the same a year from now or two years from now. Um, and in some that will continue to increase um, as we go along. So, um, you know, I think that that is a very dynamic question and one that you have to constantly evaluate as to how you're handling that. Before your time at Fiberbond, you spent two and a half years with an industry competitor uh, as uh, their regional account manager. And there you were helping develop new customer businesses while cultivating relationships in um, southeastern United States. So you were you know, on, on both of the front lines. You were trying to maintain those relationships as well as getting out in the weeds and creating new ones. Break down your partnership relationship approach before you made it to Fiberbond and maybe where that approach fell a little short and how since you've been at Fiberbond, maybe you've adjusted your approach and uh, you know, personally tried to bring something fresh to the table. Sure. So, um, well, I guess I'll start off. I hope uh, it didn't fall short to anybody else. Right. Out yes. There. <laughs> <laughs> that maybe that was a little presumptive, so, uh, but no, maybe... no, no, no. I mean, I think it's a good question. Um, actually, that company is is no longer in business, so I don't think it was anything I did at the moment. But sure, uh, they they uh, made some bad choices. They went along. Um, yeah. So to provide that, I won't mention names. Um, but I did spend two and a half years there and actually a little bit longer. Um, I actually joined the company as just an intern while I was finishing up um, school. So as I came there, I held a variety of positions, um, really doing a lot of HR work as far as hiring, um, uh, logging time, keeping up with um, different different employee uh, issues as well as doing a lot of purchasing. And so in that time, uh, it was a bit of a startup. I think I was probably uh, in the first 10 hired into the office. Um, at this point, it was part-time uh, as an intern and then progressed into a full-time job once I graduated. Um, and the purchasing aspect was interesting there because not only, you know, they didn't just hand you uh, a list of materials to go purchase. They basically handed you an engineered set of drawings and you had to go buy them out. And so for, for certain components. And so that was really helpful as far as learning the products um, and, and what went into the buildings or enclosures, as well as uh, learning the raw materials and the various components that went into it. So it really helped develop a great technical understanding of what we were doing and the processes that surrounded it. Um, then kind of after that, uh, took on an estimating role, uh, which helped put all those materials together and generate proposals for our customers. Uh, then going out, as you mentioned, to the front lines, generating new business relationships with um, customers uh, out in the industry. And so I think that at that point in time, obviously the way I'd kind of come up through the business made me approach everything with a very technical aspect. Um, and 
when I think about that going back and, you know, then now as I've joined Fiberbond, I think one of the main things that we look at differently here is, um, you know, we're really, uh, to me, and, and I'm sure a lot of people would disagree or agree with this, but we're selling simplification. Um, it's not just a technical product. Now, yes, it has to, it comes from a technical um, basis. A lot of the things going into the product are very technical in nature, uh, highly technical in nature, rather. Um, and in order to bring it all together, you have to really approach it technically. However, when you look at the overall value chain of what we're doing, it is simplifying the buying process and the installation process and the um, really the attributes around that affect traditional construction. We're maintaining consistency around those. So yes, yeah, simplifying that process is really what we're doing. And being able to understand that now and approach that because our customers, as I mentioned on the power side, who are also selling into this, you know, as we mentioned, it's kind of a, um, a partnership approach to where we both need each other's components um, to make this work. And understanding that uh, viewpoint of how do we simplify this for our customers helps us to work better together and create the relationships internally to make sure that that is what we are doing. Um, because really, we want to make sure that we are reducing the noise around difficult decisions or problems that are faced during the construction process to make it a simple solution for our customer. That's what they want. Um, they want it to show up. They want it to work. They want what they asked for. And they want it to be, uh, I don't want to say easy, but in a sense, easier than what they're used to. And that's what we're providing. Um, and, and very similar to um, our telecommunications industries. Um, you know, I think across all of our different business units, whether that's utilities, data centers, power, um, and um, um, telecommunications, that, that is the premise underlying all of that. So I think that has been really the main difference in how I've um, changed my approach. Um, so, you know, and, and I'll say that the uh, the former company experienced a lot of success um, while we were there as well. You know, so they were doing a lot of things right. And I think they did a little bit of that, too. Um, and so, you know, um, yeah, I think that that's yeah. that's also helped us make a make a lot of success um, here at Fibervon as well. Sure. So you know, I, I think a big part of why these relationships work is that Fibervon has spent a lot of time cultivating and uh, you know putting in the work to position themselves as the industry expert. Uh, and I think that kind of prestige helps build those deeper relationships with clients because there is that level of trust. So what does that actually mean in practice? How does Fiberbond actually in a day-to-day -day, position themselves as the industry expert and how does that translate into those relationships? So as an industry expert, um, I think, you know, 
we probably ought to provide a little bit of the definition of um, what I'd like to talk to about what that means to me, um, just because I think that'll help really um, break down what that actually means. So as far as an industry expert, um, I would not say that we are experts in the data center field, the powered uh, oil and gas field, the power generation fields. I think we're very knowledgeable in understanding what the uh, roles upcoming in those industries are. But what we're really industry experts in um, is being able to identify what can be properly put into a manufactured product and service to, again, simplify the overall construction process. Um, so being able to look at that across different industries, that's really what we're an expert in. Um, and I think what that means for us is, you know, you know, if I go back six years ago, FiberBond was primarily a telecommunications provider. Um, you know, the majority uh, of our product went out into the radio towers that everybody sees as they drive down the road, um, the little aggregate shelters at the base of a cell phone tower. And then as we started into the power industry, we kind of evolved that product um, with the same mindset, um, you know, really our kind of underlying principle of being able to perform value added integrated modules going to the field um, here in a manufacturing approach. So taking that, putting it into a different style of enclosure uh, with a little bit more intricate uh, electrical complexities around it, um, carried us into the power uh, industry. As we did that, um, we kind of had a little bit of two organizations, almost separate business units within FiberBond. And then in 15, December of 2015, we actually purchased the assets of uh, then ISCO, uh, which gave us some more insight into packaging of generators for the um, a variety of industries. But uh, custom genset acoustical enclosures around those building fuel tanks and anything else that needed to go into the product. So, you know, right around 2016, 2017, you're starting to see where you've got three main business units that are a little bit uh, separate business units because they are all focused on the underlying um, particulars of those industries that they're serving. Now, as we kind of move forward, we have consolidated that into the data centers and the telecommunications, the power and uh, the utilities, and really made a big effort on bringing all of those groups back in together. And what that's done is it's created a community to where all of the um, interrelated information between all of those industries is now being shared across all of the individual people. Uh, that we're all a part of that. So what that does is it allows us to bring a lot of the um, values that were important in telecommunications industry, the values that drive our power industry, the things that are important for the data industry. 
data center industry and bring those together and be able to use those across the different business units because really we've joined it all together to once again be one again. Um, while we have, you know, you obviously have to create kind of those specialized segments. So, and, and this is um, something that's really interesting. I think we'll probably talk about it a little bit later, but um, making sure what that does now is it makes sure that we're approaching every project with an open mindset. Um, if I look at just our um, technical sales team, um, our technical sales team every single year sees over a billion dollars worth of projects across these industries annually. So when you think about, and, and some of those are highly engineered specifications, they come in, we're really doing a takeoff and, and just walking through the bid. Some of those could nearly be, I mean, drawn on a napkin with no specifications. And we are developing all of the uh, other information around it to kind of let the end user know what we're going to be doing. So when you're seeing that much and you're developing solutions around all those different products, you start to collaborate around what makes sense in the different uh, sectors. Um, and with that, too, it allows us to have those more in-depth conversations with our customers because we have seen uh, such different items of importance to each different customer. Like, what is important? What are you doing today? But what are you going to be doing three years from now that we can help set the foundation for today that's going to help get you there in three years? And it's that kind of long-term strategy that uh, I think ends up paying off because not only are you focused on the day-to-day -day and cultivating those relationships uh, in a timely way, but when you've got that long-term vision, you understand how each of those little interactions and, and cultivations for your partner relationships play into, you know, the broader vision of, you know, how does this play into our ROI? How does this play into our brand imaging? How does this cut out our bottom line, right? <laughs> you know, how, how does this uh, how does this impact the kinds of projects we take and who we hire? I mean, it's all part of the, the broader game plan, which I think is smart. Yeah, it is. And, you know, some, some basic examples um, of some of the things that we face uh, right now in like the utility industry is, um, I know these are very technically oriented, but um, Georgia in uh, 2018 passed some new energy codes, which will look to probably make the use of um, shipping containers in this style of environment um, pretty much a, a non-viable product. Um, and as well as uh, some new regulations around uh, NERC, which is Oh, the North American electrical reliability, something or another. So, again, we're not industry experts, but we do keep up with it because a lot of this um, does play into what we're doing um, and where they have made a lot of new updated changes to, um, I believe it's their backup DC power and things. Well, what that does is that changes uh, what our... Um, products look like and it changes what kind of demand our customers are going to need for these products so it allows us to um get prepared uh really so our our industry position is understanding what's coming down and um how we need to prepare for that i'm glad you brought up some specific examples because i actually have some that i want to toss your way um 
the first one, and it, it basically for context here, fiber bond isn't just in the power uh, industry. Your industry is having to respond to several market shifts, and, and those include everything from gensets um, to telecom, like you were saying, to data centers. So I just want to run a few of these big changes by you to get your thoughts on how uh, basically how fiber bond is taking this partnership mentality and applying it to this diverse array of different industries. So first one is oil and gas industry. Um, for some context, the industry is riding a global high. Uh, a Rystad Energy report found that global oil and gas discoveries, even just outside of the United States, reached a four-year high during 2019. And if we look in the states, Texas alone has had record oil and gas numbers. This is according to the uh, TAEP executive vice president and economist Carr Ingham. He said operators in Texas supplied some 41% of U.S. national crude oil production in 2019, and daily output at year end was compromising about 42% of U.S. total production. So, I mean, when, when you look at one state setting, um, you know, all-time highs in not only oil but also natural gas production, this has to be impacting oil and gas infrastructure, not only in the states but globally. So, what's the dynamic there, and how do you cultivate your uh, industry partnerships in a booming industry like that? Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely one of the things that challenges our business um, and really challenges the economy as a whole. Um, one, you know, the first thing, and, and as I'm kind of thinking about that, um, you know, I think I heard 41, 42 percent of, of production. Um, so, yeah, that's great. We're producing. We're getting that out of the ground. Um, but when you think about the infrastructure around oil and gas, we also have to take that to another location, generally, to refine that, break it down, and turn it into a useful product. Um, you know, uh, being from Tennessee, the oil and gas industry was not something I grew up in. Uh, as I moved here, I've learned a lot. And, you know, uh, for me, it was just uh, when I went to the gas pump, that was the gas that came out. Uh, and so my perspective around that has changed quite significantly with understanding more of the the processes and everything that go into the oil and gas industry. But so what comes out of the ground is not just what we're going to be able to use. Uh, we have to take that. We have to move it. We have to process it. We have to refine it. Then we have to probably one, either move it again um, or export it to, to actually get it to the end users. So when you think about the level of in infrastructure that has to be able to move that amount of oil and gas, it's pretty tremendous, um, really a little bit overwhelming because um, I know a lot of the pipelines and things that people have used, a lot of that was built 50s and 60s. There's been a lot of articles that have been published out that talk about um, how that um, those, those pipes may have to, you know, they're looking at a little bit of retrofits going out um, over the next couple of years. Um, and then as they build new, so, you know, you're, you're establishing new lines and taking something from A to Z and then all the infrastructure in between that, that we're all a part of, um, we're not building the pipes per se, but we're making sure that the electricity infrastructure behind that is able to move that oil and gas back and forth. And so once, once we get that to a refining entity, um, we're also providing the power and, um, 
the transmission and distribution for getting power to those motors and machines that are going to be doing the uh, cultivating process uh, of that there. So it, it's all about, you know, we're looking at providing infrastructure across the whole diverse range of operations that go into that entire process. Um, and then I think too, which I'll say, but I think there's a little bit more of a dynamic there that makes what our industry does a little bit more useful as we look out into the future. Another industry I want to toss your way, and thank you for that that insight there, um, is data center expansion. And this is specifically being seen among FANG companies. That's a, an acronym. Spells out Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google. Some of your biggest uh, Silicon Valley tech players are all also expanding. And with that expansion comes um, an increased need for data centers and obviously the kind of e-homes for those data centers. So uh, break down how you're developing some relationships in that side of the industry and what's unique about the growth and cultivating partnerships there. Yeah, so in that industry, you're talking about some of the biggest companies in the world. Um, it's really been interesting around how they've gotten there. Um, but just as you mentioned, uh, some of those folks are making major capital investments into the storage of uh, information and the processing of information. And so with that, they've got massive um, locations at which they're doing that that require some of the most powerful, I, I would say some of the most powerful um, electrical topologies behind that and the electrical engineering behind that. Um, with that, though, um, it's also around um, first come, first serve. Um, these companies are talking in the demands of so large that it would really cut the legs out from any one supplier. I mean, you're talking about billions and billions and billions of dollars. So they've had to really diversify how they're doing that within the markets. Um, and then that, that starts all the way out from the construction, the connectivity, the locations, um, all the way down um, through the infrastructure, the people that are going to do that. Um, as far as your, your construction companies and then into the products. And so I think this is a great um, segment into also kind of what's affecting the oil and gas industry. But there's kind of an underlying, um, I don't want to say issue, there's an underlying opportunity here um, for our products where as you look at oil and gas and you're talking about um, major major shifts in, in your workforce and other countries really becoming more industrious out there. The same thing is happening, happening in technology um, across the world. I mean, so what that does is it creates other opportunities for your workforce. Um, you know, I'm sure you probably know somebody or know somebody that knows somebody that uh, may have been offered jobs uh, overseas in a developing economy or developing countries in which what they've learned here in the States is a great way for them to go over. And, you know, a lot of developing countries are willing to pay for that skilled labor set. So really what also is facing 
the technology, the oil and gas, the utilities, utility industries, and everybody in between is where do we get the workforce to execute on these type of projects? Because these are not, um, you know, simple projects. Um, they're very difficult projects, actually. Um, and so it was actually an article um, that was written in 1996. This is how far back we actually kind of started looking at what was going to start happening to our workforce. And it was called the characteristics of the craft workforce. Um, and so basically in this study, um, there were uh, looks like three engineers from the American Society of Civil Engineers that went out and essentially looked at um, the challenges facing the construction industry um, and you know, what influences the, uh, on a personal level, on a professional level, what influences the choices that, um, a lot of skilled trades people use. Uh, and I thought one of the very interesting things coming out of it, well, there's really two, um, is there was, when they look back, there was a very low level of pride among electricians, which I thought was very interesting because, for me, what I see is that's one of the more, um, I would say, one of the trades that takes more pride in what they do than anybody out there, uh, or, or one of the most highly uh, prided um, traits. And but you know they kind of offered an explanation because in a traditional setting, when you walk into like a residential or commercial setting, you don't see any of the electrical work. It's all behind the walls. However, in our products, they all stay on the outside of the walls. These are very, very open to having people view the work. Um, and one of the other things is that um, some of the traits that were unwilling to travel or spend weeknights away from home have more pride in their job than those willing to travel or not willing to spend nights away from home. Um, so part of that was affected. They they had some plausible explanations for that finding. Um, you know, you get tired from spending time away from home. Um, you know, it doesn't create, it doesn't cultivate a very family-friendly lifestyle. And so when I look at, um, so I, I kind of tie all this together, but when you talk about these fang companies, when you talk about oil and gas companies, I mean, we've seen it. We've dealt with these companies that are doing a job in X, Y, Z, but their workers came from A, G, and O from all the way across the, the country um, to come there and, and do that work. So they're kind of chasing the work of those highly skilled tradespeople left. Um, but if you come back to an approach like ours, we actually are kind of a great answer for both our customers and our employees. Like if you think about all the stakeholders involved in the situation, we make products where a lot of electrically uh, inclined people can take a lot of pride in their work and they see uh, our customers are seeing that. And it's really one of the main drivers of what we do is um, creating really well integrated um, solutions. And then on top of that is we create a great way for people to take a lot of pride and create a family-friendly atmosphere um, where they have more of a um, come into the same area to work and, and go home. Uh, for the most part, you know, we have 
people that travel from time to time. We have people that travel more or less. Um, we have extra working hours sometimes with ramps or declines in production. But on the overall basis of what else is available out there for skilled tradespeople, I think we provide a great alternative to that um, out there. So, you know, that's one of the shifts we see that's happening um, and how we're approaching the industry partnerships um, is providing those, them those viable alternatives that really make a lot of sense. Um, and then on the other side of that is, you know, obviously making sure that um, we understand the challenges um, that are posed. I think around the data, data center industries, especially, um, they have to create solutions that are scalable. Now, if I look back at the power industry, you know, one of the things there is, you know, almost every project can be a bit different. It's created um, for case specific instances and you make it and it's kind of done. You, your, your relationship approach is really off of executing the project well for a custom one-off job. With data centers though, it's about creating solutions that are good one time, are great the second time, and are infinitely greater uh, the more you build them. But along those lines, somebody with a background, say in telecommunications, like ourselves, can have a little bit of foresight around um, how to put that together. Because that's not just saying, oh, this is great for one time. It's saying that that'll work for one time uh, to build it one time but it won't work to build it 10 or 20 or 50 or 100 times, time after time. That involves so much more around uh, the components you choose to go into the model, how you're maintaining your productivity levels, um, you know, how you store the equipment and the raw materials that go into it. They come into um, you know, how we hold relationships with people providing those materials, I mean, it opens up a whole new realm of approaches that we have to look at there. I think that's a really long answer to your question. It's all good. <laughs> yes. No, that was great. That, that was great. Um, that, I mean, that basically wraps up everything I wanted to touch on. Uh, you, you put a nice little bow on it there. So, um, you know, I, I think the last point I want to bring up is since FiberBond has solutions in several different markets, gensets, data centers, power, telecom, uh, clearly one approach to client relationship and partner relationship building doesn't fit every industry, uh, much less every um, partner within that industry. It's all very nuanced. So what are some of the benefits of bringing this diverse industry knowledge to these industry partnerships? And uh, you know, what are some ways that you try to differentiate what those partnerships look like um, in, in every industry, or maybe just how you even approach uh, developing good graces with them? So, you know, I think we've touched on a lot of those um, things around the ways that we do approach um, everybody differently, because it is, in fact, but I think, you know, from a high level, we've addressed a lot of that. But when it gets down to the nuts and bolts of it, there's a lot of complex intricacies that go along with that, and which is, I also think, one of the main reasons that people do choose FiberBond um, is because there's a lot of 
a lot of internal external linkages there that happen um, that that a lot of our competitors can't imitate. They can't, um, and, and really they're 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 so um, underlying. I mean, it would almost be hard to for me to even describe them on the podcast uh, as we sit here and talk. There's things that happen in uh, information channels that are set up that we all have access to for our customers that are really just hard to describe. Um, you know, and part of that is being in business for 38 years. Um, the other part of that is creating successful solutions um, or partnerships across such a wide variety of industries. Um, you know, all in all, we are creating a very similar product for each industry. Um, it's some sort of modular approach or prefabricated assembly of integrated electrical components. Yet the process to get there is so complex um, between each industry. And I think that's why you see how we have kind of broken out the different uh, industries as to what we focus on. Um, but that's not to say that we don't focus on anything else. Um, I was actually just reading the other day that um, Marriott has been exploring these ideas and they actually have the new tallest modular hotel that will be open fall of this year. I believe it's up in Manhattan. But, you know, you see these approaches, not saying we're going to go build modular hotels by any means, but you see where this business approach this product approach, this service approach makes sense in a wide variety of applications. And I think understanding the different uh, underlying specifics with each industry is important. And that's what we've been able to do is rely on the previous knowledge that we've gotten uh, from all of the different industries to help transform all the new ones as we participate in those. And because um, a lot of them are emerging, some of them are very mature, but we can influence a lot of um, those products based on our previous history uh, and knowledge that we gained over the past years. All right, Chase, that basically wraps up the conversation here. Thank you so much for giving your time and breaking down Fiberbond's unique approach to uh, not only creating but maintaining these industry partnerships and what that means for your business and what that means for all these different markets. So again, we've been chatting with Chase Cook, Director of Business Development for Fiber Bonds Power Division. Chase, thank you for your time. Always a pleasure getting to chat. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. Appreciate it. And thank you everyone for listening to today's episode of Building a Better Bond. And if you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, you can head to fiberbond.com slash podcasts. It's podcasts plural with an S at the end. Again, fiberbond, F-I-B-R-E-B-O-N-D dot com slash podcasts. You can also find our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you're listening to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.